I, I really like gardening, and he's mentioned that before, how if I have extra money, that's what I want to do is go out and buy some plants. I, like, I don't like vegetables. Vegetable gardening's okay. I especially like flowers. And so if I see a weed in my flower garden, I kind of take it personally. I, 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 I don't, not personally, but I really hate weeds, and I, I talk to them usually when I pull them out of the I'm like, you get out of my garden. You know, I just in there, you know, like. And if anybody's ever pulled a weed out, you know that you have to get the root or you're wasting your time because it's just going to grow back again. And a lot of times I think God speaks to us through nature. In Romans 1.20 um, in the Bible is one of my favorite verses, and it says that God's eternal power and his divine nature is clearly seen from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So, you know, when I go to the mountains or anywhere and I see amazing things in nature, a lot of times God, I feel like he talks to me and tells me things. And a lot of times when I'm pulling weeds, many times I've said he felt like this is, people have weeds in their life and they have to get to the root of it or they're just wasting their time. So my topic today is kind of related to that. Um, and, you know, when you become a Christian, you, you don't just automatically become nice and hardworking and gentle and loving and everything that people should be. That's, that doesn't happen when you decide to follow God, when you decide to follow Jesus. It's not automatic. I do believe when you become a Christian, you know, God's Spirit comes inside of you. He makes you new. He makes you clean. You're going to go to heaven, all that good stuff. But you still have to work the rest of your life to become more like Jesus. H, H talked a little bit about that um, last week. It's a journey. You're on a journey. And part of the journey is renewing your mind and changing how you think. And I, whenever I have the chance to talk, I always want to talk about something that I've had experience with and that I've dealt with in my life. And this is something that I've dealt with. I've had like a few mind battles, and it's really helped me... Um, I've read books about it, just, just realizing that my thoughts and what I think is very, very important in getting closer to God. And so that's what I want to share with you guys, you guys today. So the title is Thinking About Thinking. H came up with that. He's so clever. Um, so Thinking About Thinking, um, <clears throat> you might have heard stuff about this before. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the whole, like, new age. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'll address that more later. But God has given us choices. He's given us freedom. And part of that freedom is our mind. And it's how we think and what we think. And a lot of people think you just, you just think. You don't have a lot of choice about it, but you do. You have control over your mind. And once you realize that, it can really affect your life. Um, I read a book uh, a few months ago called Switch on Your Brain. And it's written by, uh, she has her PhD in communicative pathology. And she's been studying the neuroplasticity or something like that of the brain. And scientists a long time ago used to think your brain was fixed, that it couldn't be changed, that the traits that you were born with, that's what you were going to have the rest of your life. If you have a gene for alcoholism, you're probably going to be an alcoholic. If you have a gene that makes you bossy and controlling like I do, that you're probably going to be like that the rest of your life. But then in the past, I don't know, 20 years or so, scientists are realizing that your brain, that, that is what neuroplasticity is, that it, that it can be changed, that it can be molded, and that people, have, that people can do that once you realize that. And that's what this lady has done. She spent many, many years training people, people who've had brain injuries, people who are um, mentally disabled, and she's taught them how to think correctly and how to, it's like exercise almost. You know, I want to get my biceps bigger, I do curls. You think certain thoughts over and over and over again, and it can change your brain. She says that 
Research shows that DNA actually changes shape in response to our thoughts. And our thoughts, imagination, and choices can change the structure and functions of our brains on every level. And it's a really, honestly, the book, you could read the summary at the end of each chapter, and she's, that's the kind of book it is. She has a summary at the end, and pretty much it says everything she said. And so you can, if you don't want to read the whole book, just read the summary. But there's lots of really good stuff in there like this. And I was, it was really, I kind of knew that, but reading the book and the fact that science has proven what the Bible has been saying for thousands of years was really interesting because God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if you want to change, if there's something in your life that you want to change about yourself, you can. And the, the, in my opinion, one of the main ways to do that is to change the way you think, to change your thoughts. So we're going to talk a little later about how to do that. But first I want to talk about the power of your mind, how powerful that your mind is. Um, this guy, actually, yeah, Earl Nightingale. Have any, anybody ever heard of him? Yeah. I hadn't heard of him. I guess he's before my time. I don't know. So I, I Googled. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Maybe you're more up on things than me. I don't know. I, uh, I Googled him, and he, he was a famous radio guy. This is what Wikipedia says. He did all these radio talks. Actually, I might have heard his name before. I just didn't know who he was. He did all these radio talks, and he said, we become what we think about most of the time. And I hesitated to use this quote a little bit because from what I read, and I assume it's accurate, he, got, he was kind of, this kind of started the New Age movement of your mind, you know, your mind, you, the centering yourself and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I think, you know, in a way this guy, he made his mind more powerful than God. He left God out of the equation. Um, I don't know him, you know, this is just what I read and what I think the New Age mind stuff does, is you, you leave God out of it and you're making your mind your God. I don't think your mind has the power to move things, you know, I want the chair to fold up, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think that's ridiculous. Um, but I think that he latched on to something that's, you know, in Ecclesiastes it says there's nothing new under the sun. And he just got this truth that came to him, he, he, he had this thing that said, think yourself rich. If you think, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be rich, I'm going to be rich, that your mind can direct you, all this weird stuff. So that, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm talking about. I do think this quote is true. We become what we think about most of the time. And the reason I think that is because the Bible says it, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You are what you think. So if I, you know, people think about stuff before they do it. So if I am going to murder someone, I'm not just going to go do it. I'm going to probably think about it for a long time. I'm going to have anger and hatred build up in me. I'm going to think those thoughts. I'm going to dwell on those thoughts over and over and over before I actually commit the crime. Same thing with little stuff. You know, whenever I'm, if I say something to my kids I shouldn't say, I probably thought about it and I've gotten a little irritated and then boom, I just say it. So you, you usually think about things before you act on them. And that's who you are. You are what you think. You're, you're the sum total, you know, of your thought, the to whatever, the total sum of your thoughts, something like that. I don't know how it goes. <laughs> Um, but that's one thing, that's one aspect of the power of your mind. Another thing that has been really big to me um, is that your thoughts can control your feelings. Sometimes your feelings come first and they, you know, you have a headache or you feel bad, it's going to make you start thinking negatively. But a lot of the time, maybe most of the time, your thoughts start first and then your feelings are affected by them. So when, the next time you're in a bad mood or the next time you're stressed or the next time you're angry or upset, think about why. Why am I feeling this way? What have I been thinking? And in my life right now, you know, like for example, this morning, 
you know, I have a two-year-old daughter, I have an eight-year-old son, and I have a five-month-old little boy. And, you know, I get up, I'm all quiet and feeling good, I'm good about myself, and then they wake up, and <laughs> my little girl, my nose is running, my nose is running. She says it over and over and over. I'm like, okay, wipe your nose. Then my, my son keeps talking about his, I don't even remember, his new battleship game over and over and over, and I'm trying, you know, I'm just, I'm just feeling, okay, I've got to stay calm and collected because I'm going to speak today, you know. And then we get all the, halfway here, my son forgets his pajamas for pajama fort day, so I have to turn around and go back. And I wanted to be back in time for prayer, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, that's a normal, normal event in the life of a mom. You just have a lot going on, a lot of people talking to you, and it can be stressful. And so what I deal with a lot is impatience. And, and usually, you know, it starts with the thought, like, I'm the only one who does anything around here. You know, that's what I think. I'm the, I, I pick up their shoes, I, I clean, I cook, and they don't even appreciate it. They don't, you know, I just start thinking negative thoughts like that. And if I catch myself, which I'm getting a little bit better about doing, then I start thinking, I read this also recently in a book, I get to, not I have to. And I'm thinking, I get to pick up their shoes because I am blessed to have three children. And I have a house, and they have shoes to wear. And if you start thinking like that, I'm reversing the whole process. And I know, you know, everybody says, be thankful, think thankful thoughts, and you might get tired of hearing it. But there's a reason that people say it all the time, because it is extremely powerful. The Bible says it over and over and over. Rejoice always. It says, be thankful in all circumstances. And it's really hard to do, but it starts up here. It starts with your mind. So the reason I put this up here with the wild waves and everything, and you got the strong structure in the middle of it, is because no matter what's going on around you, no matter what craziness there is, no matter how bad your day's going, you can still be in a good mood. I mean, I, I do want to give a disclaimer. I understand, I, I totally believe, you know, mental illnesses, hormones, ups and down, all that kind of stuff. And I think sometimes you need extra help. It's not just, you know, think happy thoughts. You know, I, I realize that you need counselors, psychiatrists, you know, medicine. I, I totally believe. I, so I don't want to think people are going to think, Kara just said to get over it. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. Okay. But I am saying for most people, and even for people who do suffer from like serious depression and they're on medication, this can also be very helpful. I'm not disregarding that. If you start changing the way you think in those situations, you realize what you're thinking and you take control of those things, which we're going to talk, talk about in just a minute, it can, it can totally change your day. And it's, you're not controlled by your circumstances. You can't control your circumstances most of the time. You can't control other people. You can't control what they're going to say to you and what they're going to do to you. The only person you can control is yourself. And once you realize that, it can be, you know, that, and once you can start controlling yourself and, you know, doing what you should do, that's the only way your situation, your circumstances, or the other people around you are going to change is because you start doing what you need to do and not trying to change and fix other people. And your mind is a huge part of that. Um, and this, you know, I was going to, your mind, you, you, to a certain extent, it, it determines your future, what direction you're going to go. And people think, you know, I don't believe in predestination. I don't think God has your steps exactly laid out and everybody's going to do exactly those things. I think we have freedom. I think love is freedom. You can't have love if you don't have freedom. And I mean, I don't know. I think God has plans for people, and I'm not going to get into all that. That's H can talk to you about that. <laughs> That's too deep for me. But I think your choices, you, the choices that you make, determine those things. So you can't blame it on someone else. You can't say, "Well, my life stinks because of what my dad did to me." Change the way you think. Change the way you think about that. 
Try to be thankful for what you learned from that situation and then go on with your life and your, your future will change. If you keep thinking, my, you know, my dad did this to me, my mom did this to me, it's the way I was raised, that's why I'm like this, that's why I can't get a job, they never taught me to work hard, that's, they're gone. I mean, it's you now. It's the choices that you make and it's the way you think about it that has to change. You've got to change the way you think. And this is, I felt like God showed me this. Um, you know, you might think it's kind of weird, but I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they let God, it's like if, you're ha if your life is a house, you let God into the foyer, but you don't want to let him into the living room. So, you know, you have a guest come over and you're kind of trying, you know, you don't really want him to stay that long. So you're like, yeah, doing good, you know, just been feeding the kids and yeah, how are you? You know, you don't, you just try to keep them. You let them in the door, you know, but you don't want them like coming in and laying on your couch and watching TV for three hours, you know what I'm saying? So I think a lot of times we do that with God. We let them in the door. We'll let them into our life, but we keep them in the foyer. We don't want him coming and watch, seeing what we've been watching on Netflix or what books we've been reading. You know, we're afraid he might rearrange the furniture once he gets in there. He might want to change a few things, and that's okay, God. You just stay in the foyer. You know, we're good. You're here. That's good enough. That's good enough. But God wants to get in your living room. He wants to get in your mind. He wants to change the way you think. And not, not so because he's all powerful and I will, he wants to change you, because it's for you. It's for your benefit that he wants to do these things, because he wants to help you. And he can't do that in the foyer. You've got to let him in the living room. You've got to invite him in. He's a gentleman. You have to say, God, anything you want change it about me. And he's not going to be like this, 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 this. He's probably going to start off with one or two little things and gently and lovingly he will show you, you've been thinking like this and you need to think like this. And this is what you need to do. He'll show you how to do it um, because he's awesome. So railroad tracks, um, there's a verse in the Bible, you know, so what, sh what should we be thinking? What's okay to think? And that's one of the biggest steps is Okay, I need to change my thinking. What should, what should I be thinking? And he tells you very clearly. Um, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And you might think, well, it's true that I need to lose weight. So that's what I'm going to think about. I need, you know, oh, I'm so fat, I've put on these jeans and I feel terrible, you know, I'm so, then you just feel bad about yourself all day. That's, that's a woman speaking anyway. I, but men might never experience that, I don't know. But if you, but it also says true, lovely, right, excellent, praiseworthy. It might be true, but is it praiseworthy? I think all these things need to go together. You, God doesn't want you thinking bad about yourself. He doesn't, I don't think he would ever want you to think, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. You know, I wasn't, I'm just not able. That's not God. God doesn't say that about you. Show me a place in the Bible God says that. He says, nothing is impossible with me. So think that thought. Nothing is impossible with God. I can do this. I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've got to get that stuff in your mind instead of the negative stuff. He doesn't want you thinking negatively about yourself. He doesn't want you thinking neg negatively about other people. And that's, that's a huge one. That's, that's been a big one for me. I, I grew up in kind of a, a family, and I love my family. Don't get me wrong. Every family has their thing. And parts of my family, um, it's kind of like my way or the highway. You know, I got it right. You got it. If you're not like me, you, you're messed up. And that's how, that's how I grew up. And I've had to 
that's been a big way, you know, when I got to college and I was around people who were a lot different from me, I left my small little town, I started realizing, wow, maybe I shouldn't be thinking like this. Maybe I'm not right about everything. And that was the first step. And, it, you know, it takes time, but that was one thing, one way of thinking that I've had to change is I'm not right about everything. And if someone thinks differently than me, it's okay. I don't have to argue with them, which is what I, what I tend to do. So these are thoughts you should be thinking. Excellent, praiseworthy, things that make you feel good. Your thoughts should make you feel good. I'm not saying, you know, if you have something bad happen to you in a day, that you can't feel bad about that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying try to get your mind on right as soon as you can about what happened. Think, you know, if maybe you had a car wreck and I don't expect you to be like, oh God, I had a car wreck. Yeah, I'm gonna think, you know, just start thinking, man, I'm so glad that I, you know, I wasn't hurt worse or that my kids weren't with me or there's always something good about it, always. And try to focus on those things instead of what went wrong and think about what you're thinking about. So in, let's see, I don't remember which book I read. I think this was the same book, the first book that I talked about. It says the non-conscious metacognitive mind is filled with the thoughts you've been building since you were born. And they form the perceptual base from which you see life. So we saw on the other half of the screen the clear track, um, what you should be thinking. But most of our minds look like this if our minds were railroad tracks they would look like that instead of like this because we've got all this stuff, we've, what we've grown up thinking. Um, I was thinking about my parents said one comment when I was growing up, something about somebody in our family who was having a baby when she was like 32. And they, the, what I took away from it was that's not the best thing to have a baby when you're older. Now look, I'm 37 and I just had a kid, okay? but. <clears throat> that stuck with me. That, that mindset stuck with me. So I've always thought it's better to have kids when you're young, like 22, 23, like my parents did. And is that, is that the right way to think? You know, is that, is that the truth? No, it's not the truth. But I've, that is something because it took me a long time to have my second kid and I was going to be like 35. And I was like, man, I'm going to be old and having a baby. That's not good. I should have babies when I was, you know, like 26, 25. And now my body's getting older. And what are people going to say? And it's ridiculous. And where does that come from? It came from one little thing, you know, one impression that I got. And that's probably not what even they, even what they, they're happy that I'm having kids when I'm older. I mean, but things that you were grown up thinking stick with you. And it's so good to evaluate, why do I think like this? Why do I think that I should drive a Ford and not a Nissan? You know, or, or that's, that's just a silly example. But I mean, you need to think about what, where, the roots of these things. Where do they come from? Why do I think that living in a city is better living? The, is that the truth? Is that, you know, what, what, is that, is that real? Is, should, I, should I be thinking that? And those are just silly examples. You know, there's much, much deeper things. That's what, that's what I'm talking. I'm talking about the deep things like, you know, why, Am I prejudiced against people who um, don't work as hard as I do or something like that? That you, that you need to get rid of that stuff. That stuff shouldn't be in there and you have to think about where it comes from. That's, that's one of the beginning steps to get rid of it, to change the way you think about it. And it, it takes time. It takes, that's why I put this, you know, how long did it take this tree to grow? And can you imagine how big this thing's roots are? I mean, you're gonna need like a uh, five chainsaws and a three, track hose to pull that thing out of the ground. I mean, it's huge. And it's taken probably hundreds of years for this thing to grow. And these thought processes that you have have probably been with you since you were two, three, four, you know, 15, however years old. 
because of that last quote, you know, it takes, it just, over and over, you've been thinking this way, and it's deep in your mind. And in that book, Switching on Your Brain, she talks about that, how this stuff is so deeply ingrained in you, but it can be changed. You can switch on, she talks about how you can switch on genes. Genes, you might have a gene for alcoholism, but it doesn't have to be activated. Just because every, every body in your family has been an alcoholic does not mean that you have to be. Just because everybody in your family had issues with, Abuse doesn't mean that you will have those issues, and it's, it, it's because of what, the way you think about it. And if you change your thoughts about it, it changes your actions. So this, another book that I read called Unglued, um, it says brain research shows that every conscious thought we have is recorded on our internal hard drive known as the cerebral cortex. Each thought scratches the surface, much like an Etch-a-Sketch. When we have the same thought again, the line of the original thought is deepened, causing what's called a memory trace. With each repetition, the trace goes deeper and deeper, forming and embedding a pattern of thought. So if you want to change your reactions, so when my kids are annoying me, my instant reaction, if I want it to be peaceful and talking calmly, instead of raising my voice or showing my irritation, I'm going to have to start to change. Every time, I'm going to think, Okay, I'm gonna have to, I want to get something in my, in my mind, you know, scripture from the Bible or some kind of thought. You know, I get to, not I have to, and just over, I think that over and over and over. And eventually, my actions are going to change, and it's going to become more and more automatic the more that I think that thought. And it takes work. It's not easy to do, but, but it's worth it. Um, so you have to think about what you're thinking about. I know that sounds weird, but a lot of people don't do that. They don't really, they just live their life and they don't really think about what's in their mind, what's going on in their mind. And it's very, very important. I forgot this, um, this be transformed by the renewing, renewing your mind, making it new. Um, and it, like I said, it d definitely takes work. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this is, this is what you're doing. In my opinion, not knowing about the power of your mind is kind of like going to war and not knowing about your primary weapon. You don't even know it's there. You have to realize how important it is first, first of all. And then you, it says you take captive every thought and you make it obedient to Christ. You have the power to do that. You, don't, you, can't, maybe, you might not be able to stop a thought. I heard a guy talk about once, like they're like little black dots floating around these thoughts. You can't keep it from landing, but you can keep it from staying there. Um, just like with weeds, you got one little seed that starts growing up, you pull it out before it gets any bigger. So when you have these thoughts come that you know you shouldn't have, stop them before they, get, before they stay. And if you, but if you keep thinking about it, you keep dwelling on it, it's going to grow bigger and bigger. It's going to keep going. So if you quit, stop it, you, you recognize it immediately, you capture it immediately like this says and get rid of it. So when those thoughts come in my mind like, I'm the only person who ever does anything around here, no, I'm not going to think that. And then I think something else. And you have, the first step is realizing you have the power to do that. You have to capture your thoughts, make them obedient to Christ. To make them obedient to Christ, you have to know what Christ says, which, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but part of changing, part of, in my opinion, is you have to, what you water is going to grow. So you have to fill your mind with good thoughts. And, you know, watch, watch you know, I, nothing wrong with watching TV or reading fiction, you know, um, John Grisham, whatever you read is fine. But... If you only have a certain amount of time, free time, I would encourage you to read something 
or to spend your time doing something that's going to fill your mind with good things or the people you hang around. If the people you hang around are like, nah, 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 it's so negative all the time, that's, that's going to affect you and it's going to influence you. You might not want to think about hanging around with other people. Um, read these two books recently, amazing. Every time I read a book by Tim Keller or Richard Foster, I say this is like the best book I've ever read. Excellent, excellent books. And they, these guys have spent hours and hours spent studying and studying the Bible and learned they're a lot older than me. I mean, they're more mature. And I can get their thoughts in my mind from reading their book. Books, H just talked about it many times, books are amazing. You need, even if you say, I don't like to read, that's wrong. It probably says in the Bible somewhere, you sh should like to read, okay? <laughs> reading, reading is so important. And I've got three kids, and I still find time to read. So I know that you can find time to read. Um, you, just gotta, you just gotta make it happen. Very, very, you know, I just, I read these books and I'm like, and, and their thoughts become my thoughts, and I stop and I think about it, and it's very, very powerful. And of course, the Bible, um, nothing better you can read. If you only have a certain amount of time, you need to be reading the Bible. So, you know, if I'm having a bad day, and I've read, and I know the Bible, a verse is going to pop in my head. Like, a few years ago, I remember I was going through a, my little Elena had this genetic thing, her genetic test when she was born came back, and she had to have all these blood tests, and they said, I couldn't, I couldn't breastfeed her half the time. I had to give her soy milk, and it was very, very stressful, um, especially with the, like the post-pregnancy hormones and all that. But I um, had this verse pop in my head. I was just praying and listening to God, and it said, your momentary troubles are achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And then I was like, yes, that's right. This is momentary. And then actually on my Bible app on my phone at the top, it says moment. And I'd never noticed that before, but it says at the daily reading, it said moment. And that was, to me, that was like God confirming. This is only for a moment. And a few months later, everything was fine. But that's, that's what happens when you know the Bible, when you read it. God, God can't, you know, it's, it's possible he could tell you that if you didn't know the Bible verse, but it's going to be a lot easier if you have it memorized and if you've been reading it and it's in you. And that's what's going to come out, if that's what's in you. So, you know, a lot of times, I love cows. Um, you hear it all the time these days. People are in a hurry. Everybody needs to slow down, all that stuff. And it's very true. I, I was thinking about, you know, back in the day of Jesus, they would spend two hours just walking to the next town. Two hours of just walking and talking. You know, nothing else to do. Or by yourself. You're just walking by. And you have to do it to get to the next town. And then, you know, they came up with the horse and wagon. That's a little bit faster. Then they came up with cars. Now we're going 70 miles an hour down the road wanting to go faster. I don't know what they're going to come up with next. It's going to be like Star Trek, hyperdrive type stuff. It keeps getting faster and faster and faster. And I don't think that's a good thing. I mean, in some ways, yeah, it's good you can get to work in 10 minutes instead of a horse and buggy. But if I was there during Jesus' time, I have two hours to walk and think about something that I heard that day. And we just don't have time to think anymore. And I think it's so important. This is one thing I've learned from being married to HL, is he thinks a lot. You can probably tell. He just, he just <laughs> lots of times I have to be like, are you with me? Because I can just tell his mind is somewhere else. So before I talk to him, a lot of times I'll say, you with me, H? Okay. And then, it's my, and then he starts listening because he's just thinking, thinking, thinking. Um, and that's a man thing also, I believe. But chew the cud. So cows, they get grass, you know, then it goes in, they have like five stomachs or whatever, it goes in one stomach, then it comes back up and they chew it some more. So chewing the cud, they take, you know, even when we eat, we're always, we're always eat, eat, eat. We, you know, my grandma will spend three hours cooking a meal and in 10 minutes we're all done. And I read a book, I keep saying I read a book, I read a lot of books. Um, French Kids Eat Everything, great book. And they, 
French, the French people spend like three hours on a big family meal. They have a course, they sit and talk for 30 minutes, then they have another one. Then they, that's good, I think that's great. I mean, instead of like rushing 10 minutes and then going to watch a football game, we need to slow down and spend time. Like when H preaches a sermon and he spent you know, hours and hours preparing it, and then we hear it and then we leave and then we don't think about it anymore. Go home and for an hour just sit and think about the points that he made. That's what's going to make it stick with you. Sitting here and hearing it and then leaving and not thinking about it anymore, it's not going to stick with you. You've got to let it get down deep inside of you and think and think and think. Um, and you have to focus. I think focus is something we also miss a lot of. Um, one of the, the book I was reading, Richard Foster, that I showed you on the screen, it's a book about meditative prayer. And that's something I'm learning a lot more about. And how you can just, for example, the, the verse in the Bible, a lot of people think practically, how do I do that? What is meditative prayer? I encourage you to read that book. But love is patient. This is something that I try to think about a lot. So I can just sit and be quiet and think over and over, love is patient. Love is patient. And God will start telling me things about that. Love is patient. Love is patient. And that, it gets it from my mind into my heart. It makes it more automatic for me. That, that becomes part of my natural thought process. The more I think it, it gets down deeper and deeper. I don't know how it all works, but it does. It's just important to, you know, I don't, I don't want to say chanting. I don't think that. But you just think about it. You, like you chew the cud. You mull it over in your mind over and over and over. Instead of just reading a verse, I'm done. you got to take 20 minutes. The one thing I read, Tim Keller, was at, when he was in college, they did this exercise at this Bible study he was at where they took one little verse in the Bible, I don't remember what it was, and they had to think about it for 30 minutes. And the lady said, most of you will be ready to be done after five to 10 minutes, but I want you to push through and think about it for 30 minutes. So after five minutes, when they got back, geez, what else can I think about this Bible verse? But he kept doing it, kept, he, 30 minutes, he kept focusing on it. When they got back together, she asked him what they learned about it. And now she said, now, most of you, was that in the first 10 minutes or was that in the last 10 minutes that God showed you these things? And every person, it was the last 10 minutes, the 20 to 30 minute mark. How many people sit for 30 minutes and think about one Bible verse? Not that many. But I think that's what we have to do if we really want to change our thinking. One, one thing that we have to do. And um, I also think that God wants to use our imaginations. And... Uh, you know, meditation and reading and also just imagining and just sitting and letting God, like during worship a lot of times, I put this picture up here, it's not the best picture to illustrate what I'm talking about, but um, God will use your imagination. Yeah, you can think some crazy thoughts, but a lots of times so you say, God, show me something. He will show you something. Like whenever I was praying about this sermon, I felt like he showed me an empty container and a pitcher of solid liquid gold being poured into the container, and then it was just oozing out. And that was what he was showing me. Is he wants to fill our minds with pure gold, with his thoughts, and then that's going to flow out to other people, and that's going to affect how we talk and how we act, and that's what he wants to do. And that illustration helped me a lot. And one thing, whenever I'm during worship music, um, a lot of times I feel like God shows me a parade in heaven. And this is really, I know it's, it might sound crazy, I think there's going to be parades in heaven. And in these parades, sometimes I'll see, um, I'll see just, he'll, he'll focus on the fact that every nation is there, every color, every kind of people. They're all there marching in this parade, and it's a parade of joy, and it's a parade of just unbelievable celebration. And he, he'll show me... Um, one time, I've, lots of times, I feel like I see Jesus dancing in the parade. And it is, 
It is, I just cry every time I see it. I see Jesus, you know, there's people with the drum, boom, boom, boom. And part of the power to me of the parade, I've always loved marching bands, is the unity. They're all in step. And I love percussion. I love the drums. And sometimes Jesus just takes the drum and he plays a drum solo. It'll just make you cry. I mean, amazing. I think, I'm sure Jesus can play every instrument. And then sometimes he just dances. He walks along next to the parade and he's just dancing with joy. Sometimes I feel like I see mothers with their babies that they've never met before. And I see people being reunited. And because I let God use my imagination, my worship experience is much, much richer. And it's better than being like, you know, da, 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 just singing the words. And I, I usually have to close my eyes for that to happen. But I encourage you, try it when you're praying or when you're singing songs to God. Just close your eyes and say, God, show me something. And because of this, it, may, you know, I, it makes my worship, I, I feel God and I, I hear him. And I see, you know, how much joy that we're going to have in heaven because I let him use my imagination.